Hello, and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. We're two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Indeed. And in this episode, we're going to we're gonna go through Colin's tweets. Because <laughs> lack of a better topic, you've been keeping busy on your content generation for what, last time we, we podcast, maybe two, three weeks ago? Yeah. Oh, you're so, out for a, you know, a week. But I, I tried to post. Yeah. And so this was an interesting one. This was just my notes. So Jason Cohen... He's built four software companies, bootstrapped all of them in the initial stages. He's taken four from zero to a million plus in revenue, and two of them are worth a billion plus now. And he, wow. in 2013, at I think his microcomp, has this awesome talk on designing the ideal bootstrap business or the perfect one. Hmm. So highly recommend it. Go check it out on YouTube. But I just distilled all his learnings into my own. So we go run through it. So the goal is to get predictable $10,000 per month per founder in cash flow. And you, so you're not trying to change the world. You're just trying to fund your lifestyle and have something fun to work on. And so he breaks it down into revenue model, market model, and acquisition model. And some of the stuff is pretty counterintuitive. So I'm going to talk through like, you know, what's interesting? What should we steal? So this first one is on the revenue side, he just does the quick math to get to 10,000 per month. It's about 150 customers, each paying you on average $67 a month. And it's all recurring revenue. It's way easier to just acquire a customer once and then you don't have to acquire them again because it's always hard to acquire customers is kind of his concept. And so for the first 50, this is how he did it for WP Engine. He goes on LinkedIn and he reached out to all the WordPress consultants, which you could target mm -hmm. based on searching them on LinkedIn. And then he offered to pay them whatever their usual hourly rate is just to take a look at his product and tell them what they thought. And so actually no one asked to be paid and many of them put money down on the product, free product before it was actually built. And so that was like, he's ready, he's all good and he should build it. And then after that, the next 100 customers, he says, this is pretty unique, ignore social media and blogging. So he had this very popular blog, 40,000 readers. He only converted two customers from it. So he's like, mm. don't do that. Just focus on ads and ads are repeatable. You spend X dollars, you make Y back in revenue. And his big thing is do prepaid. So you want to push people to annual plans like as hard as you can. And that way they give you the money cash up front and then you have a lot more money to spend on ads. So on like day one, things can be very profitable. Yeah. It's other thing. So be a boutique. You should, you aren't a huge company. We're not huge companies. So lean into that. Be expensive, be special. He says it works in every profession. Like there's boutique of everything. And it's like, supporting one-person businesses, like trying to make a go of it. So this is something I definitely adopted. I try to fill out our about pages more and tell our stories a little bit more, make it clear it's like an indie SaaS and we actually care on like a big company. Yeah, I've, I've been emailing a lot of customers like on the automatic side, new signups and just saying, hey, I'm the owner of automatic. Like I, effectively, like I'm running visibility on support, running a product, like it feels like that. And it's it's been interesting. I get a lot more responses. I get a lot of developer conversations because I'm working with other developers and people throwing me like what they're working on. And it definitely helps. It definitely helps like to convert and like say, hey, just so you know what's kind of going on because it, it is a cold exterior with any sort of, you're just coming to a website be, using a piece of technology. But it makes it a little special when you know or even get to connect with people across the globe that, you know, are using it or are building it. Yeah, and tactically, so we have intercom on all our sites. And so it's very easy to start a chat with us. And we have dedicated customer support person that replies all the time. And then yeah, Brent jumps in and we'll answer. So it's other stuff. Cash is king. So do annual prepay, two months free. 
so you could spend the money right away on growing your business, which is what we do and pretty standard. Yeah. You can also make annual even more enticing. So you could give like 50% off monthly or you wildly jack up the monthly rate and keep the annual the same just to make annual look mm-hmm. even more uh, compelling. And then he is big on affiliate. So he gives bloggers coupons. So if your standard on your website mm-hmm. is like two months free, he gives like three months free. So it pushes a lot of traffic through. Bloggers. Let's talk about Try that for more. a second. Coupons. Yeah. Like coupons for a second, like, are you attracting the wrong customers with coupons? Because that was one thing we ran into at the, the Venture Studio that like, don't, don't start couponing. Because then you end up with all these customers that are like, they sign up and they're waiting for their, I mean, it, it kind of depends B2B, B2C, but like, but if I look at Scout, I don't know if you guys, if you've looked through our role of existing customers, a lot of them came in on coupons. Hmm. So it's like, I don't know, you bring people in, you get them exposure, you add value. And you also get some, you just needed, they needed that little hook, that little nudge ahead. But yeah, I remember fighting about this a lot of like myself pushing back and say, hey, let's not open up coupon. This was, again, this is a B2C product. So that was my stance is like, these are coupon clippers. They're going to quit and sign back up. They're going to just to try to save like a couple bucks. And, and that was definitely true at the time. And I guess the question I posed to you is like, do you think in the B2B world, there are coupon clippers or these sort of like super penny wise customers. So I think you want to just do whatever you can to get these people in the door, right? The LTV is so high that if you gave people three months free, uh, it doesn't really matter. And in his case, it's kind of arbitrary. So you're giving away these coupons, but it's also like you're playing around with the price. So you could jack up the price and then say it's three months free for the annual plan. But yeah. effectively, you're getting paid the same amount. And it's just like psychology that people like seeing that they're getting a deal of sorts. Um, mm-hmm. But along with that, his big thing and was kind of mind blowing to me is he does no free trials. And he has this crazy chart where if you're just listening, it's basically flat or like slight growth and then it rockets upward. And where it rockets upward is where he's shifted from the traditional 14 day free trial where there's no credit card on file. It's really easy to get in the door. Those just don't convert. What he switched to is a 60 day money back guarantee. So you take whatever it is, a hundred bucks up front for the month. And then these customers feel like they have four times as long to get their money back. And he says very, very few people ever ask for that money back. And they just feel way more comfortable taking the leap. So I looked at all his like, you know, conversion buttons and it's all, it's beneath all of them, 60 day money back guarantee. So I love it. And I think we should, we should totally steal this. But before that, like walk me through exactly. So before is a two weeks free, so 14 day free trial. Now you sign up and you pay day one. Does it charge your card right away yeah. up front? It charges you your card up front. Okay. So like one if it was 14 day free trial, it'd be you 14 days, nothing, enter your credit card, and then you get charged on conversion. It's a, this is counterintuitive and, now, and not what other folks are doing. Interesting. I mean, I think, oh, that's a scary one. Like I'd love to try it. It, it may, I'm wondering if things like, Okay, let's go through each company. Uh, in each case, Blink Sale, we're at $19 a month. It's a commoditized product, right? You can get invoicing for free other places. You might be able to get QuickBooks is more, right? That's the, uh, the biggest competitor we run into is like, oh, I'm just going to use QuickBooks. And I already use it for my bookkeeping. So, yeah, like what we do now is we, we ask for a credit card, give you a couple of weeks free. And you have to come back and remember. And we actually don't see a lot of people that come back and are like, oh, I forgot to turn it off. They either use it or they don't. And they, they don't convert. So like, do you think we should try it there? I guess is the first question. I, I get the sense that we should. It's just. I think we the, should try it everywhere. Yeah. 
I think this is the plane. And just <laughs> cash flow wise, it's so much nicer, right? So even if it converts yeah. exactly the same, you're getting the money 14 days faster, which is a, a big impact. Yeah. And then Scout, I think if, so I'm the customer, I just think psychologically, it's like, well, I have 60 days to really try this. If they already said it, I trust them, they're going to refund me. So that's yeah. better than 14 days, which is otherwise what you're looking at. Yeah. I mean, it clearly it works for them. I don't see why it wouldn't work as well for us. So I, yeah, I'd love to move to it across everything. Yeah. Yeah. I guess let's talk about what they were, they were doing this on WP Engine. So for those of you who don't know what WP Engine is, a hosting platform for WordPress and it's it's now it's a big boy company. Like it's, it's serious. But back in the day, I remember when it would just got started, I, I started using it, hosting WordPress sites or whatever. And it was, it was great. Nobody was really doing what they were doing. Like specific, I mean, there were a couple of players out there, but they were really successful with it. So I'm just trying to think of like, was there something unique to that product that was in here? And it, it, now that I think, but not really, like you could get cheaper hosting elsewhere. You could do it yourself elsewhere for less. I guess if you got on there and realized you couldn't use it, you'd know pretty quickly. Like, oh, I, I'm not on Word. I mean, it was very specific. You have to be on WordPress. Beyond that, like, you should be fine. And just thinking of like, okay, Scout, somebody's like, oh, I'm a mobile dog walker. And I, I, for some reason, your product doesn't work for me. You'll know pretty quickly as well. So I get the sense that like, yeah, we should try this everywhere. Yeah, that one was exciting. So WP Engine, he did end up raising money for it. And it's like a, a multi-billion dollar company now. I think their ARR is well yeah. north of 100 million at this point. WordPress, I mean, it's a, it's a wild, just from one perspective, it's like, I wanted to go after that with automatic. It's just, I think even to this day, it powers the majority of the, the internet are like 60 something percent of the websites on the internet are still WordPress based. So it's, it's a jugger. So the other thing you talked about at length, so he's WP engine is what he's best known for, but he's had a bunch of other like small fast companies that have done well. He talked a lot about picking good markets and bad markets. So bad markets never sell to consumers. They don't spend money. It's hard to get someone to pay a dollar for a mobile app. So like, just avoid it. Don't do it. That was a good one. Avoid temporary pain or point in time type companies. So think of weddings, events, anything that's not. Avoid marketplaces. So you have to build two businesses. You need the sellers and the consumers. They're just too hard. I mean, they're amazing once they get started. Fuck. It's just not worth it. So our last resonating with buying you? companies. <laughs> yeah, we our last startup. Uh, Pretty much, it doesn't check the events, but it checks both consumer marketplace, the audio-based marketplace. Yeah, we were able to check off two of those. And yeah, it was, it's exactly right. Like getting people to, without embarrassing ourselves, I don't think anybody, I mean, people did buy things on it, but it was like paltry. What people, it was like crazy, the, the low conversion rate. Once we switched to that marketplace model, and then we're just like, man, we had to build the front and the back. And even then it was just an early stage idea. But yeah, we were able to check off two of those. So I, yeah. I couldn't agree more with those. I'm, I'm burnt out on consumer businesses and marketplaces are twice as hard. Yeah. So on the other, other side, good markets, naturally recurring. So anything tied to financials, invoicing, taxes, reporting, admin, HR, they have to pay for it. It's like a natural demand there. And basically all our vertical market software companies have like an invoicing component to them. So it's pretty popular. Pain that changes over time. So SEO, PPC, email marketing, support, like intercom is so integral to our business. We're not going to turn out of it. Not real time. So you don't want to be woken up at 2 a.m. because, you know, hosting is down or something. So he likes analytics, metrics, finance again, project management, and content. Something that could be finished. So you don't want to be competing on features to the end of time with a bunch of other folks. So like feature complete type things, add-ons or barnacles on a whale, as we call them over here. He yeah. likes going for big markets with multiple niches. 
So it means people actually want to buy your product already. Like demand is validated. And if you could find your niche, because it's so big, there's got to be some niche for you. And then once you land, you could expand to something else. So he likes big yeah. markets. Cool. Yeah. A- any thoughts? Anything else you want to steal from him? I think the biggest takeaway is the 60-day free trial. I think we should try that on everything now. Sorry, not 60, the 60-day money-back guarantee. Now, I would say we just launched like a bunch of changes on automatic to make it easier. So I don't know if that would make it easy. Like the problem we were having was just getting that funnel to convert. And the whole model we went with was give people free access for, I mean, originally, yeah, now there's, yeah, it's a freemium model now. So it's like, do we want to walk that I don't want to walk that back now after doing all that work, but we're seeing traction there. So that launched earlier this week and we're already seeing some, some strong traction with what we were, were hoping would happen, which is like, Hey, let's make it easier for people to onboard. And so it seems to be working. I'm, I'm, I love that idea. I don't know if we can roll it on on everything just yet, but yeah, I definitely think for Scout, we should, we are switching to Stripe this week, right? So early next week. Everyone's going to get billed and we'll be off Braintree, thank God. And then does it make sense to, to roll that out right now? I think, it, I think it does. I think that is the first takeaway is like, let's give that a shot and then we'll report back what, what happened. Yeah. So that's the biggest. I, I'd love to do that. It doesn't make sense for automatic. He didn't really cover freemium as a model. I don't know if this is popular back then, but it's very clear that it works for like automatic style businesses. Just bring yeah. a bunch of people to the door and then have them at the point of conversion. So yeah, throwing that one out, the other two, I think should have it. The other one, my big takeaway is like combining this annual prepaid with ads. So push people towards annual more and then run ads and get the cash up front. So we haven't pushed mm. on Scout yet because we have, it's always like, we're just going to buy it and we're going to do sales and marketing and it's going to grow. And like every single time there's like months and months of product work to like, ah, man, there's all this like stuff we got to fix and now we could grow. So that's just reality of buying things. But it feels like we're at the point now where we could actually think of ads and growing. Yeah. Yeah, we we I think that's the thing is we realize once we talk to people and I think it's like in with Scout especially like the biggest barrier which I'm really excited about because we're almost done is getting people off Braintree. Like that's we have new people sign up and they can't even charge their customers. They can't use the product. Like our new customers like they get flat. I don't know what the, the deal is if Braintree is just kind of like a forgotten platform that got swallowed up by PayPal, but it's it's not great for if you have a new account and you, your first 10 customers you try to charge, it'll, it won't let it, you have to call into support and be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not fraud for real. And like our customers just, they associate that with us and think we're broken, which is the worst part of all. So it'd be nice to, yeah, to fix that. I don't know if you saw in intercom, there's actually like an automated thing that sends saying, Hey, this is a known issue with Braintree. This is like the workaround. It gets sent to, I think every single customer, because it's just a thing that everyone runs, runs into. And it makes it super hard to sign up. It's kind of insane. Yeah. All the thing of the past. Yes. What else do you want to talk about? You want to do the technical one? Yeah, let's I So we don't have to go through it too close, but you basically, you wrote this, this thread praising your choice of partnering with myself, which I really <laughs> appreciate. Unfortunately, it only got 36 likes. I don't really get why that one didn't go viral, but in short. Kind of niche. Yeah. Are you acquiring a SaaS? Are you a business person? So whatever. So like my hot take around this has always been, and I, I'm the curmudgeon tech guy of like, what business do you have buying a software company if you don't know anything about software? So that's, and obviously that's a bad take because people do it all the time. They non-plumbers buy a plumbing business, MBAs buy, they, they, they know how to leverage people better than I do, right? But that's at this scale, 
right? Like there's not a lot of resources to hire a CTO that's going to basically do the job for you. So yeah, it was an interesting threat. And I get this posed to me a lot, which is like the opposite, frankly, like a lot of listeners have reached out being like, I'm a tech guy. I want to do what you guys are doing. And I just haven't been able to find the thing. And I would, I would actually flip, I wanted to kind of create the, the opposite of this thread. I haven't had the time and, and I don't know if it's super compelling, but I, I honestly think there, there seems to be a lot of business people that want to get into software, but are intimidated or don't feel like they know what they can do. It seems like it could be really dangerous. And I agree it, I mean, think about the three businesses that we've purchased. I think at least automatic, you probably wouldn't have done. Blink sale probably would have been okay yeah. with a non-technical person. Yeah, it needed a facelift, I guess, was like the biggest lift on Blink sale. So it's actually both sides. So I send the warnings of like, look, you could hire someone on Upwork, you could hire a dev agency. Maybe you find a good one, but if you ever manage the developers before, they can be very expensive. And you could rent a Brent's, right? You could find a CTO, yeah. but they're even more expensive. But in, the incentives are just misaligned, right? So these contractors are getting paid. It's not their money on the line. They're not the ones buying the business. They're not personally guaranteeing anything. So like if it fails, they're still getting paid. So your incentives are just a little wonky. But then you talk to, like I was on this dev developer podcast, as I should be as a you know, well-known <laughs> developer. Uh, so it's on Indie Rails. And they had the same question just flipped of like, hey, all these developers, like they want to buy a business. They have no idea how. I mean, you could buy my course and learn it. You don't have to know finance, but... They also want like a, a Colin, a rent to Colin. So they yeah. have the same problem of like finding the, their business or marketing counterpart. I think the, the yeah, I've heard, I've heard way more on that. I mean, maybe I'm attracting that more because of being, I'm asking tech people to reach out to me and I'm interested in talking to tech people. But yeah, I think that is, it's not that it's more scarce. But I think there's a lot of business people that also don't know this space that well, right? So there, it's kind of, People that know software really well, to me, the, the number one thing is like knowing the market. And I don't know if like we have a great grasp on it anyways, but like what's fair to pay? How do you structure a deal? Like, so your course is a good place to go. I think that's one area, but it's also like, okay, a deal comes through. I find something I might require. Like I put in a bid or whatever and it gets ignored. Like, how do you get past that? I mean, that seems to be where people get to. And it's hard to know, like, what is this thing worth? How should I even go through the process? And so there are courses out there, but it's also, I don't know, modeling is a big piece of it, but yeah, it's, there's a lot of gaps. I think where software engineers will kind of shoot themselves in the foot and like, they, they want to do this. Like, trust me, it's like the dream job of every software engineer is to like own what you're working on and, and reap the benefits of it and not have to bill hourly. We've talked about this before, but I think that there's something in between the lines here that's more so like compatibility with working with a tech, like a technical person working with a non-technical person. And I think there's a little bit more art than science to that, where I think getting to like how we work, where it's, it's pretty, I wouldn't say it's loose, but like you're kind of, ha you're hands off the tech side. I'm fairly hands off the financial side, or at least like the, like I, if you say, Hey, this is worth this. I'm not like, well, run me through the numbers of how you're getting to that. <laughs> I mean, walk me through it, but. There's very little, there seems to be a little, there's some challenging going back and forth, but it's not like we kind of respect each other's domains. I think that's one thing. And I think that the other thing is like effort. I think developers tend to think they're overvalued. I'm just going to say it as somebody who thinks they're the most important person in the room, but like their time is 
so valuable. They they bill for their time. They set a dollar amount to it versus I don't know that MBAs have had that necessarily like market experience. So I think that there's an element of like understanding that there's an equitability there. We run it 50-50. Like we, for lack of a better strategy of like, there's no 51-49, it's, it's equal. Yeah. I think that there's more interesting like dynamics there that have to work than necessarily like, do you need a tech person or not tech person? You need to be compatible with somebody. Yeah. And everyone's asking like, where do you find them? And I, my advice is like, don't shotgun into this. I mean, you could have vesting and stuff, but it, it could just be a mess. So ideally it's someone you've known for a while and have worked with for a while, but you could start relationships on like wherever developers are hanging out as well. Or like my community, I think people have kind of partnered up this idea. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, where do developers hang out? I'm curious to know where, where you're finding, what did you have in mind of like, like you mean, you mean online communities? Online communities, yeah. Oh, they I don't see. leave their homes, so. Yeah. No, I say, <laughs> are you on Xbox or PS4? Which yeah. one? Yeah, I, I think that there's, like, there. I see these posts all the time, like on Reddit, or like, how do I find a technical co-founder? How do I find the opposite, my, my yin to my yang, so to speak? And I think, yeah, just getting out there. But it's hard to do. It's like, I think you have to be, come with like a pet idea. And like, we kind of did that with Avocado. I hate to say it. Is I look in the rear view, that's what it feels like. At the time, we thought this was a you know, really viable, cool business. It was an mm -hmm. idea that you had. And I, I think you have to kind of go through and work with somebody a little bit. And whether that's in a job or in an, a, a side project, I guess side projects makes it make it even harder, though, where it's like you're both balancing things and it's, you know, are you really giving something a shot? So that, it's just kind of a constant issue of like, how do you even get into entrepreneurship to begin with? Like, how do I pull that together? Yeah, that was kind of cool to explain to them is like, so, so many of them have side projects and you've been doing it for like a decade. And it's like, it is this, this concept, concept of like starters and scalers. And if you've like tried to start things for a decade and none of them worked out, like maybe try just buying something that's working and trying yeah. a scaling thing. So that was just kind of fun to pitch. I think it breaks a lot of people's frames. Like they think they could work for a company or they could start a company. Like there's no concept that you could actually buy something that's working. So hopefully that converts some developers to like thinking more like owners going forward. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was a good thread. I was, I get this question a lot. And so I think it's good to answer it. And then you had a, another one that had a really weird uh, heading that I was kind of like, are you trying to infer that we're a Ponzi scheme? So it was around this, that, but somebody asked you the question. It was, are holding companies Ponzi schemes? Yeah. So the question is like, how do they function? Right. So in theory, it's like a magical compounding machine that continues forever. But if I'm putting money into this box, like I would like money to come out of that box at some point, right? So it's very tax efficient, capital efficient. There's less reinvestment risks or transaction frictions. So we talked about in the past, how you structure it, how you get money back. So as things start compounding, often there's like mailbox money is the term for it. So you get distributions of dividends, monthly, quarterly, yearly, whatever. If they choose not to reinvest it in future acquisitions or other companies or growing existing companies, that's not tax efficient. It's better to trap the money in the business and continue to reinvest. If you dividend it out, it also gets taxed again as personal income. So, but people like seeing that, like psychologically, they like seeing their money coming back to them. So that's common. And then the other way you do it is liquidity windows. So an outside party, there's firms that do this, will come in, set a fair value of the company, which by default comes to fair value for the company's shares. And then... This creates liquidity in the absence of a sale. Often it's structured so that the hold co itself can buy back the shares. 
or then the GPs. So you and I could buy back the shares. Beyond that, it goes to existing investors and then it could go to outside investors to yeah. you know, exchange hands. There's also just an exit. So you could sell one company, you could sell all the companies, or you could compound indefinitely. You could sell it to a larger hold co. So you could sell it to Constellation or something like that, some larger entity. You could take it public, which is an obvious way to give liquidity to investors. That's what Constellation did when investors were pushing for it. Yeah, I mean, those are kind of the different options. So not a Ponzi scheme to answer my random friend on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, it's the liquidity windows is my favorite. Like to me, that seems like the right way to do it. But I, I get people do the mailbox money thing. I mean, I think the problem is, it, it, in my mind, it's the how many investors you have. And I think as we look at what we're doing by keeping an LP group very small, like I think, or I guess growing incrementally, it's not like we're out there raising a, a whole bunch of money and then coming back and having like a huge bill to to cover. Right. So it's like, I think it's just a balance between how much equity you have out there. And those are going to be the, the stressors on you down the line. Because frankly, if you raise minimum the minimum equity possible, like those problems, you can kind of decide however you want. And, and generally, once that flywheel kicks in, your investors are going to be happy either way. Because you're, you're going to have returns as long as things are, are... This is the thing I love about this category. It's like even like the, the poor case, like the flywheel kicks in, the debt paid off and cash is flowing easily. So obviously there's a catastrophic case that all the businesses die somehow. The internet's wiped off the, the face of the earth and these no longer exist, but it's probably not going to happen. Catastrophic is maybe in landscaping or something, some other like boring business, but in software, it's all recurring. Like something really weird would happen, have to happen for like one business to die or really dramatically decline. Yeah. So I think it's other folks. Vist Equity has never lost money on a deal. I would expect something would have to go pretty wrong for us to ever lose money on a deal as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, I think, again, I, I always struggle with this whole co word as I going out of the cold, hold co conference. It's like, we would totally sell these businesses, but either way, it's, it's not a, not a Ponzi scheme. I'm glad we're answering the hard hitting questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who asked you that question? Just a wealthy tech guy that's looking at deploying some capital ahead and exit, looking at investing in holding companies or boring startups. And he, okay. he's heard this term a bunch and it's like, logistically, how does this work? Because people don't yeah. really talk about like the nitty gritty, boring details of it. It's just sexy because it's like, we're baby Berkshire. That's cool. Warren Buffett has a lot of money. Like, don't ask the details of how this actually functions. Yeah. I, I think my learning was, and I was talking about this before that we were recording, is like, it seems like Holco's that are like traditional ones, like there's very little interest in buying those companies anyways. Like they're, they're old, ugly companies that like, I guess now it's popular. People have like popularized this idea of buying roofing companies and pool companies. And that's great. I, I support ETA. I think it's the right model, but it software companies typically trade, I guess, at a different clip that, than those companies. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm probably wrong. And as it, that's coming out of my mouth, but like, I don't know, it's, uh, if the litmus test is you're going to hold it and you'll never sell it, then we're not a hold co. Yeah. The only one I think about is like Mark Leonard sold one company in the early days because he got a really good offer and he brings it up to this day and like regrets it because he the feels one. like had tarnished his reputation of like never selling a business. Yeah. Um, kind of does. Kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, buy it 600 and it's like 601. One we sold. <laughs> just like, yeah, God damn it. We're like a multi-millionaire. <laughs> she just ate that one. Yeah, probably just buried it. But you never know, like if that's early on, that could have been the difference between like, hey, we needed that cash to then get to just notch up to that level where we couldn't get. 
Yeah. I mean, chalk up one win for sure would be yeah. kind of nice and put money in the bank. Oh, cool. Anything else you wanted to cover? No, nothing else on my end. It's been good to to walk through uh, Colin's social media calendar. And I need that promotion on my tweets. So I just need those extra links in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, oh, thanks cool. for listening. Yeah. Take care.